This is the sermon podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. This is Lord of Life. There is a place for you here. For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. Good morning. The first lesson is from Genesis chapter 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue to be childish. And the heir of my house is, and I cannot believe I've been practicing this name for, oh my God. (laughs) What? That's right. Eliezer. Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, you have given me no offspring. And so a slave born in my house is to be my heir. But the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. No one but your very own issue shall be your heir. He brought him outside and said, Look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you are able to count them. Then he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur, of the Chaldeans, to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. He brought him all these and cut them in two, laying each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in two. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and a deep and terrifying darkness descended upon him. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. Holy wisdom, holy word. The second lesson is from Philippians, chapter 3. Brothers and sisters, Join in imitating me and observe those who live according to the example you have in us. For many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. I have often told you of them, and now I tell you even with tears. Their end is destruction. Their God is the belly and their glory is in their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and it is from there that we are expecting a savior, Lord Jesus Christ, 
He will transform the body of our humiliation that it may be conformed to the body of his glory by the power that also enables him to make all things subject to himself. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy, my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, my beloved. Holy wisdom, holy word. The Gospel according to Luke, the 13th chapter. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to Jesus, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. He said to them, Go and tell that fox for me. Listen, I am casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow And on the third day, I finish my work. Yet today, tomorrow, and the next day, I must be on my way. Because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you, and I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. The Gospel of the Lord. One of the lessons of history is that it is not good to be on Herod's radar. If you have read any of the history in biblical times, you know that Herod was both an exceptional ruler in uh, his ability to ride that, that razor edge that was required to rule over the Jews while at the same time getting along with Rome. He was clever. He was industrious. In many ways, he was a very good ruler, but he understood how the game was played. And he understood that power is not something that is given. Power is something that is taken. And so he was ruthless in preserving that power. He was not above eliminating his foes. He was not above eliminating his family in order to hold on to that power. Power goes to the strongest. Power goes to the most well-connected. Power goes to those with the means to move the environment around them. Even 
here in our own country where we flatter ourselves with the idea that we give power to our elected officials, that through our votes the people bestow power on our rulers. Even we understand that it's closer to the truth to say that we ratify a narrowed down decision. A decision that has been narrowed down by those working behind the scenes, by those who have the power to do so. And so Jesus seems a bit naive, foolish, or at best to be filled with a certain bravado when he mocks Herod. The Pharisees have come to warn him which, by the way, should remind us not to buy in too completely to that character of the Pharisees that we are given in Scripture, those uh, snidely whiplashes. God, I'm so old. Uh, those snapes of, uh, even that's old. Um, anyway, those evil characters who are presented to us in Scripture because here they come to Jesus' aid, warning him to get out of Herod's way, to get off his radar, out of his sight, because he wants Jesus killed. But Jesus instead says, you tell that old fox for me. Hey, I'm here all week, folks. You tell him I'm here today, tomorrow, and the third day, I finish my work. Did you get that? You tell him, I'm here today, tomorrow, and the third day, I must be on my way. Almost begging Herod to bring it on. What gives Jesus such bravery slash foolhardiness? Why does he think he can stand in the face of such powerful adversaries? He is playing in a jungle where the rules are those with the longest claws and the sharpest teeth. Rule. But Jesus steps into the jungle armed only with a story. A story that he tells compellingly to anyone who will listen. A story that has been echoing down through scripture to this present day. A story written in three chapters. It seems like almost every generation of preachers that came before me were told the same thing in their preaching classes. Make your sermon around three points. Get them in, make your point, get out, sit down. And it was good advice because, let's face it, three points is about what our attention span will take. But we also understand that there is a certain power around the number three. That we instinctually wait for that one Two, three, that ready, set, go. 
It is an old orator's trick to name things out in threes to make sure that people hear it. Now Jesus comes telling this story that unfolds in three chapters, in threes that resonate throughout Scripture. It is on the third day that that ram, that sacrificial ram appears to Abram to offer up in place of his son Isaac. It is three days that Jonah is in the belly of the whale before he is spewed forth. Three, three, three. And Luke will speak of threes five other times in Luke's gospel. And each time he does so, he will do so referring to that third day of the resurrection. He will speak of a story that takes place in three parts. Three parts of life, death, and resurrection. Life, death, resurrection, ready, set, go. And it is this story that Jesus steps out into the spotlight with, vulnerable to those around him. And never underestimate the power of a story. We are engaged in story making every day of our lives. Every day of our lives, we wake up and remember who we are based on that story. Every day, we adjust our idea of who we are based on that story. Every day, we go to sleep anticipating the next day based on our story. And that story determines how we view ourselves, how we view others, how we view our purpose, our life, our meaning. And for far too many of us, our story is one that causes our spirit to contract, that makes us small, that makes us question our worth, that makes us wonder if we're strange, if, if we are abnormal, if we are somehow different outside of the boundaries. And Christ comes bearing a story that ends in life. Not just life, but as he calls it, life in its fullness. He comes bearing a story that says, this life must pass through death, but that is not the end. There is a stronger and more powerful life available to us even now that we can live on into eternity. It is a story that defines us not as what we think we are or what those ones of long tooth and claw want to make us, but who God wants us to be, who God has made us to be. It's a life that we are invited 
to be part of through our baptism in which we are baptized into the life and the death and the life again of Jesus. It is a story that unfolds one, two, three, life, death, life. Good Friday, Holy Saturday, Easter Sunday. It is a story of which we can see the end. And because we can, we can already live in the joy of that life here, now. It's a story that dwarfs and robs all other stories of their power. It is for this reason that Jesus stands up before Herod and mocks his story of power. His story of how the world will unfold. Let us just wait and see which story, which story will endure. And we will see his story unfold in life and in death on Good Friday, but then we will see it come to its completion in the resurrection and the eternal life. And that story will invite us also to pass through our own life and death filled with those Herods and those Pharisees that beleaguer us and distract us. But then we will come to the point where we can say, we are finished. And on that third day, we can go on our way rejoicing in God, rejoicing in the fullness of life that is ours. There are so many other stories, ridiculous stories of smallness and meanness, stories told by the sort of those who we heard about in New Zealand this week who cannot tolerate the presence of others that are different. Who see the world as too small to accommodate the lives of others. Who think that God somehow ranks us in some order of preference from favorite to those who are lost but the God who would gather all people under God's wing. The God who, like a mother, aches for all of her children, will not rest and will not tolerate such substandard and hate-filled stories, but gives us this joyful story in three chapters and invites us to make it ours. Amen.